Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual, professional, or medical mental health advice. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I am your host, Kara Crincefelli from Kara's Kitchen. I am a holistic health coach, published author, online course creator, and now podcaster, which is so cool. Today we have a really awesome guest. Her name is Molly, and her company name is Balanced by Molly. And before we get into the interview, I wanted to pick two winners. So I have been sharing with you guys that I was going to do five giveaway winners. So if you left a ratings and review in iTunes, then you would automatically be entered in to either um, pick one of two prizes. So admission into my online course, Break Free from Binge Eating, or a one-on-one coaching session with me. So I'm going to read two reviews right now, and those are going to be the first two women who get to choose – from the giveaway. So the first one is from the Anna Lee and it says this, this should be a mandatory podcast. Kara is a wealth of information and knowledge on all things, body positivity and mindset, all the while kicking stereotypes of society's expectations of women to the curb. I love her content and find myself wanting to yell preach, whether on Instagram or listening to the podcast, do yourself a favor and subscribe. You'll forever think differently about your body. Thank you, Annalie, for that. That just makes my heart smile if that's possible, which maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, but I, I just appreciate this so much. So the Annalie, I don't have a way of contacting you after leaving this. So um, if you could contact me, send me an email, shoot me a DM. Um, you know, if this, um, since you are one of the first giveaway winners. So the Annalie. Contact me so that I can get you um, whichever prize that you want. And then, okay, so let's go into one more review. And this will be for the second person. Okay, this second review is from Megbot underscore 423. And the name of the review is Intuitive Eating for the Win. I discovered Kara only a couple of months ago on Instagram, immediately bought and read her book, and have started the journey of recovery from my personal food issues, which is the restrict binge cycle. Basically feeling like I'm either on or off the wagon. Like I wouldn't let myself eat brown rice or farro because carbs, but then I'd catch myself shoveling buttered pasta in my mouth over the stove that I had just made for my kids for dinner. I still have some work to do to get to that point of not attaching value to what I'm eating, but I have really enjoyed eating carbs without guilt for the last six weeks or so. Working on body acceptance is tough, but I'm getting there. I love Kara's compassionate approach. She arms you with the info you need, but ultimately it's up to you to eat what makes you feel good. Imagine making a decision to never diet again. It's incredibly liberating. Thanks, Kara. So Megbot, thank you for that. That is so awesome. Thank you for buying my book and hanging out with me on Instagram and listening to the Love Your Bod pod. Um, You are going to be the second winner. So contact me, hit me up, shoot me a DM, send me an email. Um, Again, the username is Megbot underscore 423. So I, again, I'm not sure... I don't think I can contact you guys. I played around with this and tried to figure it out. And so you're going to have to contact me and um, Girl Scouts Honor. So if this is your review, hit me up. If it's not your review, let's all have integrity and authenticity here. I know you guys do. You know, I know that 
integrity and authenticity is going to be important to you guys if you're hanging out with me. Um, so hit me up. I would love to get you those prizes. Um, you can choose, again, from either online admission to my course or a one-on-one coaching session with me. And then if you haven't left a ratings and review yet and you like this podcast, pretty, pretty, please do so. It's what keeps the podcast going. It's what helps it reach other people who haven't listened to it yet. And I would be so grateful. Okay, let's dive into today's show. I want to give a light trigger warning. We do talk about gaining and losing weight. um, And we do talk a little bit about food quality. So just a little bit of a heads up there. If you have a super active eating disorder, I do not want this to be triggering. There's a ton of valuable information in this podcast. And we talk about Molly's Uh, journey from being a binge eater to developing orthorexia and now coming back into balance and being in the middle and kind of living in the gray area and being able to have a kale smoothie but then also have a greasy slice of pizza from Brooklyn so um, it's a fabulous episode but I definitely just want um, to give a little trigger warning if you do have an active eating disorder because we do talk about again weight fluctuation and food quality okay let's dive into the show Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host, Kara Corincefelli, and today we have a lovely guest with us. Her name is Molly. She is a certified health coach and wellness expert based in San Francisco who received her education from the Institute of Integrative Nutrition in New York City. She works with clients in one-on-one coaching sessions to help them achieve their health goals. Molly teaches her clients a new way of thinking about food and nutrition in order to make better choices around eating in a more natural and intuitive way. Before launching her own health coaching practice, Molly worked in corporate banking and struggled with her own health diagnosis and digestive issues. Seeking better health, she discovered the healing ability of whole foods and was able to get off medication and heal her relationship with food and her body. This inspired Molly to start her own nutrition and health coaching practice, Balanced by Molly. With her corporate banking background, she understands the demands of a stressful career and works with individuals to help balance healthy eating habits with busy work and travel schedules. Molly also works with corporations in the Bay Area, offering corporate wellness programs and retreats to encourage happier, healthier, and more effective employees. Welcome to the show, Molly. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Okay, so I love to start the podcast with a little bit of like an icebreaker, and it's called Awkward First Date Questions. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions that I've received on first dates, and then also previous um, guests on the show then add a question. So at the end, I'd love for you to add a question. And if you, I think you're in a relationship or married. I'm in a relationship, yes. But I've been on a lot of awkward first dates, so... Hit me with it. I'm okay. ready. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Actually, it's funny. When I was a kid, what I wanted to be when I grow up, um, I know my mom will be watching this so, or listening to this, so she'll laugh. <laughs> um, I actually wanted to be, I wanted to, not that I wanted to be a banker, but I definitely wanted to work for a corporation. I wanted to be the boss for lack of a better way to say it. Um, I had a lot of ambition at a young age and I wanted to be on Wall Street wearing um, a suit and working for some powerful corporation. <laughs> um, I never made it to Wall Street, but I did make it into um, a banking and I did, did that for about 13 years. So mm-hmm. kind of hit my dream. I didn't want to be a ballerina or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like although you're not doing that now, you very much were doing basically that for many years of your life. You said 13 years? Yeah, 13 long years. 
So if anyone wants to know how old I am, you can, you can do the math. (laughs) (laughs) That's a long time either way, right? Like age aside, that's a lot of your life. Yes. It was a big, big portion of my life. And it's funny. I actually, I loved it for a long period of time, probably for about 10 years of that. I was in love with my career and what I did in banking. And then um, that started to change, um, which is really why I'm here today uh, talking to you and sharing my story about how I started my own practice in nutrition and health coaching. But it's funny how things evolve from when you're younger and what you really want to do and what you can enjoy. And so I always tell people who ask me about like career advice and like, you don't have to choose something forever, you know, whatever you're doing, enjoy it and be passionate about it and, um, you know, love it while it's there. And then when that changes, um, recognize that and listen to it. Yeah. That's really well said and great advice. Like it doesn't have to be forever. And my career hasn't been a straight line either. It's been all over the place. Right. So I think that's really great advice. Um, okay. We're going to talk more about like your career and your, your transition and sort of like the dots that connected to get you to where you are now, but let's ask a few more date, first date questions. All right, let's do it. Okay. If you could have the answer to any question, what would you ask? Ooh, I'm going to get like super like deep and existential here. Cause okay. I really, um, I consider myself to be more of a spiritual, not a religious person, but I always wanted to know about, um, like life after death, not to quote like Biggie Smalls, but maybe a little bit. Um, <laughs> I always wonder like, is there an afterlife? Um, do souls exist? Um, you know, the whole idea of reincarnation and Buddhist practice, I am very, I've always been very interested in that. And I feel like that's a question that obviously no one here alive on this earth would be able to answer. Yeah. I would love to know the answer to that one too. So I'm going to piggyback. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, all right. Like Jimi Hendrix, like, what are you up to? You know, like, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) We need a status update, Jimmy. Come on. Up, dude. <laughs> um, okay, so what kind of mark do you feel you want to leave on the world? Essentially, like what is going to be your legacy or what do you want your legacy to be? It's a sure. deep one. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I wonder if that guy got a second date, right? It's a pretty good one. <laughs> You'll know because she just told me on the podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, really great question because um, I think that's definitely changed for me in the past couple of years. And it's kind of been evolving as my, um, as my company evolves and the clients I work with, right? For me, the impact I want to make is, like, I don't want to be lame and be like, oh, I just really want to change someone's life, you know? But if I can make somebody think differently um, about their bodies and about how food affects the way they, they look and to... Um, just to kind of change people's perception of what we've been told for so long in society, especially as women, about what our bodies are supposed to look like. Um, if I can just change one person's perception on that, like, I'd be good. I think I have already, so I kind of want to keep on going with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cool. I want that to be my mark because there's so many things changing for women right now, and I think that's an important part. Body confidence leads to total confidence. Um, so it's huge, huge for me. Yeah. I totally agree with you that when we become more trusting of ourselves in our ability to make food choices, we become more trusting of ourselves in our ability to make all types of choices. And then 
of course, when we're more comfortable and confident in our skin and more comfortable and confident around food, that's going to mirror all areas of our life. It's not siloed to just food, right? 100%. Okay. So tell us a bit about yourself and your story. We learned a little bit, but dive into it a bit more. What's your background um, with your relationship to food and your body? And how did you come to the place where you are today? Sure. Yeah. Um, My story is one that has evolved over time in terms of how I share it. I think that um, when you have things in your past that have really shaped who you are today, uh, it takes a while to really like write your story out, you know, even if that's mentally and then share it with others. Um, You know, my story really starts back um, probably when I was younger. I had um, two wonderful parents. They both worked full-time. I grew up in Marin County here uh, in the Bay Area for people who are from here, probably know where that is. And um, I had a really great childhood when it came to food, right? So um, my mom and my dad would share duties of like a cooking dinner. Um, We would always sit down at the table together with my brother and the four of us and share our days and conversations. And um, and I never really had any, any any thoughts about food other than that I knew what I liked and what I didn't like, and I knew how to take candy into my house after school, right? Um, so my parents did a really, really good job of just like, there's never any talk of like diets or, um, you know, different foods being good or bad. Like that was never, ever part of my household. And I think that really started to shift um, when I got to when I got to college. Because uh, I think when you start to meet people outside of your small little bubble of high school, and you start to date boys, you know, more seriously, the, the topic of weight and body image starts to come up a lot. And uh, what happened with me, I was a little bit of a different story. I was, uh, unfortunately lost my, my father at a really young age of, of 19. And because I was so young, I dealt with so many emotions of processing losing a parent that I didn't process them. And for a while I used food as a way to cope with that. So I was an emotional eater for many, many years um, that pretty border, pretty much borderlined on um, binge eating by the true definition, right? So I think that oftentimes that can really, one can blur into the other in terms of emotional eating and also binge eating, right? And I was a, I didn't cook. I was a lover of fast food. I was a lover of not only drive through fast food, but also just microwave fast food. One of my favorite things to eat was um, the Stouffer's macaroni and cheese or the Stouffer's lasagna. And I would get the family sized and really, really go for it. Anytime I was feeling sad or lost or not wanting to deal with emotions, food was, was my outlet for a long, long time. And I actually didn't even know my, that my behavior would have been called something or labeled something in terms of disordered eating, right? And that actually, that realization actually came later, mm-hmm. which is a big part of why I do what I, what I do today in terms of working with young women. Um, but what happened is I got really, really sick and I ended up losing my gallbladder. So it just mm. really short If people don't know what your gallbladder is, it's attached to your liver and it helps to produce excess bile to break down large meals and also meals that are really high um, in fats as well. So for someone who's binge eating, that can be really, really, um, kind of a dangerous, um, path to take in terms of overloading your body again and again and again. So I was put into surgery at the age of 24 and I had my gallbladder removed, which you would think would be a wake up call for me, but it wasn't. And I just remember when I was um, going through recovery thinking, how soon can I get back to my lifestyle? 
And what came with also the emotional and binge eating was also binge drinking. And I was ready to go out and drink again and get back out there with my friends. And what ended up happening is I got even more sick after that. I developed um, IBS symptoms. I continued to gain um, a lot of weight and really unhealthy um, rate. And I was stuck and I didn't know really where to, what to turn to other than food, right? And I was really lucky at the time I was dating somebody who kind of saw like right through me in terms of what was going on. And he said, we need to get your body clean. We need to um, clean out your system and, and start over because what you're doing is making you sick. So we went to Thailand. Um, we traveled in Thailand for a month, which is wonderful when you're 25 years old with someone you know, that, that you're with. And um, probably unlike other young couples who travel through Thailand and go to the full moon party, we went to a week-long cleanse um, on the island of Koh Samui. And mm -hmm. as fate would have it, I met a holistic nutritionist there who was from England and who was there writing his book. And he taught us everything there was to know about holistic nutrition and really, really the power of eating whole foods, which I knew nothing about. I mean, I was, like I said, I was eating microwave meals, drive through fast food burritos, bagels, cream cheese, you name it, like terrible frozen lenders, bagels, and Philadelphia cream cheese, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was blown away. And this guy at the time, he was 40 years old. He looked like he was 25. He had the energy of like an 18-year-old. And I was like, you know, what's, what's your secret? Um, so he, he taught us everything. And I came back home and applied kind of like his doctrine to the way that I was eating. And it was absolutely insane. Within a couple of months, I started to lose weight. I got off. I was on um, a couple of different medications for IBS and also um, for not having a gallbladder. They put you on something called Caraphate, which is actually pretty terrible if you look it up. But I ended up getting off all my medications. I lost the unhealthy weight, got back to like my healthy weight that my body knows and likes to be in. And everything just felt really, really clear for the first time. Like there was no um, question that my body needed this really, really nourishing food in order to sleep well and in order to affect my mood and my skin and my energy. And it wasn't even about, about weight. I knew that I had really unhealthy weight that I needed to lose, but it was more about just how it made me feel. Like I felt really empowered in terms of the choices that I would make for food and how they would affect my body in really, really wonderful ways. And so for lack of a better way to say it, I was like addicted to food in a whole different way. And then I went the route of orthorexia, which I also didn't know what that word meant until a lot later, where I became okay. obsessed with eating healthy food. And I ended up losing even more weight that was unhealthy. Um, and I dropped down to a weight that I hadn't been for in a long, long time. And I was able to gain it back, but I still had that mentality of like, you know, you, you can only eat food that's like whole and real and healthy and natural. And there's no other way to do it. And this is the only way because I believed in that because food had really healed me and I wasn't able to rebound into the middle. I like really went the other way, which I think a lot mm -hmm. of women do who have um, passed with, with, you know, maybe some disordered eating is the tendency for that pendulum to swing one way or the other. So that's a long, long story um, in terms of my relationship with food, but it's been like, it's been all over the place. And where I am today in terms of starting my own practice um, and leaving banking three years ago, 
I was able to really, really find the healing that I really needed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that has brought me to where I am today, which is a really wonderful place to be. And that's why my, my practice is called Balance by Molly, because it really is truly about balance, right? It's, and it's also about writing your own definition of what that balance really means to you. Yeah, because it's going to look different for everybody. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the pendulum is definitely something that a lot of us ride, right? So going from this extreme of frozen meals and fast food and then bordering an obsession with cleanliness and purity and whole food, I think that a lot of people can resonate with that pendulum. Mm-hmm. What had you get to this place where you can eat food that makes you feel good both in your body and in your mind? Like how did you find your place to the middle ground for yourself? Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I, it's really hard to like pinpoint an exact moment where like my aha moment where I really got it. Um, but I think it kind of had to do with when, when I was really kind of like in the mode of like clean eating and now I really hate, I hate that word. Right. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> not eating clean than like yeah. your duty or something, you know, right. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I really got into like the alternatives for dairy and the alternatives for wheat. And, you know, for a while I needed that in order to heal my system with, um, with IBS. But, you know, once I was healed, it was almost like I was really scared to go back to, um, you know, adding back in foods that had really wrecked my system before. But what I realized is there was a, there was a big difference between like the whole foods and the process of foods, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to wheat and dairy. And really kind of what turned the corner for me was taking the time and diving in and doing my own research and kind of becoming, um, you know, I'm like, I want to know exactly what I'm putting into my body and what it's doing to me, you know? And I learned that like not all bread is created equal. I learned that not all dairy is created equal, you know, and even not all sugars are created equal as well when it comes to the separation and the combination of fructose and glucose. And I just started to become like a science nerd. And, and, um, and I still do that today. I'm really, really nerdy in terms of researching. And I think the more that I researched and the more that I understood about how certain foods, um, what are they really like doing into your, in your body scientifically, was like a light bulb for me that all these foods that I really enjoyed um, in terms of what people can sometimes call bad could be enjoyed and still be really, really good for you. Right. And it's all about just, I learned how to listen to what my body really needed. And it wasn't so much about like, well, my body needs healthy foods all the time. Right. Cause I think the balance is between foods that are really healthy for your body and then foods that are really healthy for like your soul. And they make you feel good in two totally different ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of helped like banish that, that fear of like certain foods and what they would, would do to my body. But when it's like, okay, like sometimes I just really want, you know, like a greasy slice of pizza. And I'm probably not going to feel really good after that physically. But like, dang, like that felt really, really awesome to to eat that. Like, Mm -hmm. my soul is like moved right now by that, like taste, you know, Um, like there's this one pizza place in Brooklyn. I'm like, I can still taste that in my mouth. Like that was like an experience, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, so that's kind of where, I, where I'm at today is just like, you know, and um, I never strive for perfection. I don't think that word really can exist in our relationship with 
food or ourselves. Um, and I think it's just like a daily, it's a daily thing. Sometimes I think, um, I don't think about food at all. And other days I do think about it and I'm kind to myself in that process. And that's how I really learn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm out of curiosity, kind of how long from being in this like kind of extreme cleanly orthorexic state, how long did it take you to kind of get to where you're at now where you have this really awesome relationship with food yeah. and you kind of just like flow in and out of greasy pizza and kale smoothies. Very yeah, much. Exactly. <laughs> um, it took a long time. And a lot of that is kind of what you, you mentioned earlier about, um, and this was offline, you guys, this is, wasn't during this podcast, but we were talking about how, you know, balance in your relationship with food doesn't come unless you have that balance in the relationship with yourself and others in your life, right? And so there was things that I had to work on in my personal life when it came to relationships and when it came to career and when it came to so many other things that that I tend to call like off the plate nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. That I had to dive into and I had to do like the really, really hard and really, really painful work to reconnect with myself. And if I didn't do that, then I, I still would have been in that state of like being highly obsessive about eating healthy, you know, like super healthy food or what I used to call clean eating all the time. Um, and it really wasn't until I was able to like connect with who I really was and figure out mm. this is exactly who I want to be with in a relationship. And this is exactly what I want to be doing for my career that I was able to say, this is exactly what I want to put into my body. That's going to be my choice for what's what's good for me yeah and not what i think is is the right choice you know yeah. that was the biggest shift for me and and that took a long time you know like um gosh like that took and not i know everyone's path is different and i don't want this to sound discouraging to other people who are listening but it took me like almost 10 years to get to that point because mm-hmm. i actually didn't even know that um that I had swung the other way. Like in my, in my mind, right. It's all about the beliefs and the stories we tell ourselves. In my mind, I was, I was doing everything correctly. You know, that made me feel good. So mm-hmm. how perception shifts over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you going through this journey, one that did take you a decade because you have that experience, it's going to allow you to, shorten the recovery time for someone else. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which would be the point of why you would want to hire a coach is because they're going to help. Like, can you heal on your own? Sure. Totally. A hundred percent. Can a coach make you help? Can, can a coach help you make it easier and more quick? Probably. Totally. Arguably, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had a coach when I was 25 years old and struggling. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. That's a hundred percent why I do and probably why you do what you do today too, right? Because it's like, gosh, if I could just rewind time and go back to that one pivotal moment that I didn't even know probably existed and ask for help, right? Um, I mean, that's all I want to give to. And that's that's why like most of my clientele is between, you know, the ages of 20 and 35. I mean, I have a lot of wonderful women in their forties and a lot of uh, wonderful women in their teens too, but you know, it, it says a lot about kind of where we are in our lives at that time and the changes that we're, we're making for ourselves, um, with our bodies and, and choices. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have, I was gonna say, yeah, maybe a couple of teenagers, but the majority of the women I work with are like 23 to 32. Yeah. And, yeah. and looking back, 
I even think I said this on my Instagram stories the other day, a huge, like a huge part of the reason I'm in coaching now is because I just wish that I had this for myself at the time. Like I think I, I didn't have an Instagram account. I didn't know. I didn't even know health coaching or life coaching was a thing, you know? So neither. Me neither. Yeah. Okay. So you talk on your Instagram about how there's no happiness or fulfillment in restriction. What do you mean by that? I think a big part of, um, the term orthorexia, whether it's in the definition or not, but for me, restriction is a big part of that, right? Because you're restricting yourself from eating foods that are defined as like unhealthy, right? And I use that like word define really loosely because I think that could, yeah, exactly. Because I think that could be so subjective and um, you can pretty much make your own definition for that. But, you know, by pure nutrition only, there's also um, a definition of what's healthy or not. But the reason why I say that about restriction is because the longer that you continue to restrict certain types of food from your diet, the longer that you dream about them, the longer that you want them, the longer that you find yourself in your kitchen with an entire bag being poured into your mouth, you know, like the longer that you tell yourself you can't have something, the more obsessed you get. And that obsession takes away from that like true happiness of the enjoyment of it right and that really crosses over to like a lot of things in in our life but especially with food um you know the true and the true like thing about food is enjoyment you know and food is not about is not to be used to change the way that your body looks which is what we've been taught which is what the diet culture really is right and yeah. I love that you talk a lot about that in your Instagram too. Um, you know, but really like food, it's about being enjoyed and it's about coming together with other people and, you know, breaking bread and sharing stories over that bread and, you know, coming away feeling happy and fulfilled um, from eating something that makes you feel good in that, in that moment. Right. Yeah. So you restrict yourself. Um, you become obsessed with whatever food it is that you're not eating and that takes completely away from any happiness or enjoyment in food. Yeah. Um, there's this woman, her name's Marcy Evans, I believe is her last name. She's a registered dietitian. And I was reading a couple of blog posts and she talks about how restriction wires us neurobiologically to feel addicted to foods. Yeah. So she's definitely a, a very outspoken registered dietitian against the argument of true food addiction, like being physiologically yeah. addicted. And she yeah. says that the feeling's real right? So you're talking about the more you restrict, the more obsessed you get, but we all want what we can't have. I mean, that's the inner child in all of us. Like you put a, you put a child in a room full of toys and you're sitting in there on your cell phone. The one thing the kid wants is the freaking cell phone, Exactly. right? Like, or we want the boy we can't have or whatever. So (laughs) I mean, (laughs) just human nature. And there is lots of science to back that up. Yeah. 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 Totally. And that's where I love to nerd out is on the science, the scientific part of it is so important to like, to really understand where that behavior is coming from. Right. Well, I also think that it helps people who are skeptics 
Mm-hmm. Be like, oh, okay, this is actually what's going on. So it is definitely helpful to look at the different rat studies or look at the Minnesota starvation study and, mm-hmm. and see that the only time that we can get those binging behaviors to occur is when restriction is present. But they yeah. don't occur in isolated instances where you have unconditional permission and access to food. It happens in a state where restriction is present. And so the restriction, I'm sorry, so the science is what helps those skeptics be like, oh, okay, maybe there's something here. Okay. Exactly. Yep. I totally agree. Um, So you had this amazing, I totally stalked your Instagram uh, before getting on here with you. And you had this really awesome post where you talk about how when you restrict calories, your hormones change and your metabolic rate goes down. So you mentioned how your body will slow down the rate at which it burns calories and it will increase your hunger hormones. So you are hungrier. Essentially what I took away from the post was that you said calorie reduction in an attempt to lose weight is basically counterproductive. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I could totally talk about that. I mean, especially since we were just talking about science, right? In terms of the skeptics, but a lot of my clients who come to me, I really try to give them like a really heavy dose of science in terms of what's happening in your body. um, When you restrict or when you binge or um, especially on restriction, right? Because if you think about it, like just from a scientific standpoint, when we are eating on a regular basis, right, our digestive system breaks down that food into glucose and it's released into our bloodstream. And that glucose is what is used for fuel, right? So a lot of people don't even know that, that glucose is what we need for fuel for our bodies, right? So, and then to like break it down even more, when we're not using that fuel, um, the excess is stored in our liver as what's called glycogen, right? And that's why I think like liver health is so, so important. People are really obsessed these days with gut health. But two things for me and for my clients are always liver health and gut health, okay? And then when we go for really long periods of time, and I mean like those times when we get like really hangry, you know, so like mm-hmm. five or like six hours or more without eating in between meals, that's when we're using that glycogen in our liver for fuel, right? And so when we're constantly restricting, when we're constantly in a restrictive state, we run out of that fuel, right? And our, especially when you're restricting carbs, because you're not even going to have that fuel to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So our bodies go into starvation mode. Um, and, and side note also, because I brought up fructose too, and I like get super nerdy about this, but your body actually needs fructose to break down glycogen. Okay. So a lot of people on Instagram now are like, fruit is so uncool. Fruit is so, you know, so much sugar, like, you know, skip the bananas or whatever. We need that fructose to break down the glycogen in our livers to actually use it for fuel. So please, please don't skip on fruit. It's my fruit PSA um, for this podcast. But so when you go into starvation mode, what happens uh, is it really, really messes with your metabolic rate, right? And it really also messes with just like your basic cellular functions. And I talk about that with my clients, like, you know, like you need glucose for your brain function, for your muscle function, for your heart function. Um, it's carried to all different parts of your body, right? And especially your hormones as well. So this is where the hunger hormones come in. And there's three of them um, that are really important. One's called ghrelin, one's called um, leptin, and the other one is called peptide YY. I don't know why. I don't know why, why they couldn't come up with a better name for that, right? (laughs) But those are your your hunger, um, your hormones that tell you when you're hungry or when you're full. So to break it down really simply, and the reason why I talked about that was when you reduce your calorie intake, um, and I'm not just talking about like a day here and there, but 
when you are constantly restricting calories day after day after day, your hormones start to change. Yeah. And not just your sex hormones, but your hunger hormones, right? So what happens is the ghrelin hormone ends up going up. So that's your hunger hormone, which makes sense, right? You're like, okay, well, I'm restricting myself and starving for so long. Of course, I'm hungrier, right? Yep. And yep. then the leptin and the, pep- the peptide YY, um, which is what tells you you're full, ends up going down, right? So therefore, you actually become more hungrier when you restrict. Yeah. And you're probably thinking about food more too. Then you're obsessing about food more, exactly, <laughs> yeah. you know, right? Like, God. Um, and then the, the, the ghrelin, the hunger hormone kicks in, right? And it makes you hungrier when you're restricting. But because you're not eating, you're actually burning less energy, right? So people don't realize that when you're eating food, you're actually burning energy. Like the act of just chewing and swallowing and digesting, you're burning calories um, doing that. And I also use the word calorie lightly too, because I can totally get go off on a tangent <laughs> about the word calorie and that our bodies don't even recognize what a calorie is anyway. Right. But what it really comes down to is, is from all of that, the less calories that you eat, the less you burn and also vice versa, right? So the more calories you eat, the more your body has to work and burn more energy to break those down. Mm-hmm. So you're doing your body like a total disservice. And this is why people like, um, you know, sorry, Oprah, but this is why people yo-yo when they diet. That's why people gain back the weight and why they gain back even more because your hunger hormones have become so backwards and screwed up. Mm-hmm. Right? You're hungrier after restricting, so you're eating more. And then you're gaining the more weight back. And then it just goes back and forth and back and forth. And in that, you're, you know, even I'm talking hunger hormones, but your sex hormones also get messed up. So mm-hmm. that's a whole other tangent too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, just ultimately when you put your body in that starvation state, it gets scared. Like it doesn't know that you're trying to lose weight. It literally thinks there's a food shortage and that your survival is at risk. And so your body makes you hungrier so that you eat so that it doesn't die. And then as a protective mechanism against future death, it stores more weight. It starts to store more weight, yeah. It, I mean, your body is like such a smart freaking machine. You yeah. Know? And it, it, it's such a smart machine that it really wants to be on your side, but you, yeah. have, you have to be on its side too, right? Like you can't continue to be like, no, you, you know, you're actually really trying to make me healthy and bring me back into balance and I'm not into that. So, you know, sorry, body, I'm just going to keep on just, you know, for lack of a better word, like destroying you, you know? Yeah in a very unhealthy way. And it's it's very, oh, it breaks my heart, but I'm really also at the same time grateful that there's the capacity to have these type of conversations and to get this information out to the people that need to hear it. Because I don't know if you felt this way or if any of you listening felt this way, but when I started to discover this information, I literally felt like I had been lied to. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Totally. Right. You're like, oh my God, like what the heck, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Totally. How do you help your clients change the way you view food? So that was something that you had mentioned right in the beginning when we talked about your legacy and you were like, if I could just have someone, even just one person have a shift in their perspective around their food and their body. So how do you hope to do that? Or how do you actually do that? Like, what's that look like in action? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really, um, I'm a goal setter, like through and through, right? So somebody has to have that goal first, right? So if you come to me and you're not, you're not ready, um, usually, I mean, I do turn clients away a lot, right? And same, same right? Like you know that they're not ready. Yeah. You know that they want you to like hand them a magic solution that will just like poof, make everything go away overnight. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, really hard work. Like changing the way that you view food is hard work, right? Yeah. And you have to set, like, that's the, that's the broader goal, right? But you have to set smaller goals um, in between that. And I think for everybody, it's, it's so different. But what I see time and time again is that we, and we, and this is something you talk about as well, and which is why, uh, which is what I love about you. And women especially have this tendency to create like a belief system over time and, and create like a way of telling the same story over and over again in their heads, even though it might have changed or it might be changing, right? Because those beliefs in that story are all that you know and what you're really, really comfortable with, right? So I dive like really deep into um, what your what your beliefs are, right? Like what is it that you truly believe about food and how it affects your body? Which ones do you think are really seriously true and which ones are you like I know that's ridiculous but it's just the way I think you know I get that a lot with clients where they're like they say something and they then they're like I know that's not true you know like I know when I say it it's not true but that's just you know that's just how I'm wired to think so what I do is I work on like rewiring right because the your view of food is based off of the beliefs and the stories that you've told yourself about that food and it usually comes from something that has to do with, um, you know, someone in your family who is a dieter, someone um, on your soccer team who is dieting, a coach who told you to lose weight, um, unfortunately, a boyfriend, right, who wanted you to fit a certain mold of looking a certain way. And so all these things start to become true, right? And food becomes the way to really control um, mm-hmm. how they look and then how they look becomes a way to control their happiness and they all start to become connected so it's like okay well let's flip the script on that right and let's talk about like if you lose 10 pounds do you believe that you will truly be happier right mm-hmm. I ask that question a lot I'm like and what does that happiness look like to you right yeah. and I even have clients who are like you know, my life is actually really, really good. Like I have a great job, I have a great boyfriend. I just can't figure this food thing out. Like I just can't figure this body thing out, right? And they're still tying like food to weight to happiness, right? To all those things together. Yeah. Um, And so I like to get deep with my clients in terms of going through their belief system. I like to do uh, exercises in terms of rewriting your story. I think is really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just to write down your story, what it is that you tell people, what it, what it is that you tell yourself about it. And then like, if you had to rewrite it, what would that look like? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that can be really, really powerful and changing. Um, I think it goes hand in hand. It's kind of like chicken before the egg, like your views change first and then your beliefs, your beliefs change first and then your views, you know, mm-hmm. um, because breaking free of that is where like the magic, like really, really starts to happen. So you're like, Hmm all these things that I have been taught to believe or I've told myself are true um, is all bullshit, (laughs) you know? Um, Sorry, I totally just sweared on your podcast, but. Oh no, you can. (laughs) But it's just crap, you know? It's like, okay, like I view food so long as this thing to change the way that I look and the way that I feel. Uh, But what if it's not about that, you know? And then it's like, the scary part is what's on the other side of it. You know, like Mm. if I'm not using food for what I have for decades, then what does that mean? You know, 
Um, I think that can be really, really scary for a lot of people. Totally. A hundred percent. I, I, I distinctly have a memory, a discovery call with one woman who ended up becoming a client, but I asked her on the call, like, what would you be doing with your time? Yeah. Like if you weren't so obsessed in micromanaging, like what would, what would you be doing? And literally she was like, I don't know. I've been doing this for Mm -hmm. so long. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's definitely that fear of the unknown of like, okay, well what happens if I let go of trying to use food as a tool to manipulate my body, then like what's going to take up in its place. And like, that can be something that you get afraid of, or that could be something that excites you. Right. And you could be like, I'm up for the discovery. Totally. Yeah. And I think that in the, in the process of that discovery, like really cool things start to happen, you know, and yeah. you're just like, whoa, you know, um, because it's also learning how to like use your voice in different ways too. You know? Yeah. Um, what I took away from what you said, what you shared about changing people's view of food is actually a lot of what you do with people is not really about the food itself. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. It's the same for me, 100%. Like, and I've heard a lot of people say this. Like, it's not really about the food you put in your mouth. It's what are you thinking about that food? What are your beliefs about that food? Totally. You know? Because one of the things that I see a lot, and I'm sure you see too, with clients of mine who are binge eaters um, or are recovering from binge eating, um, is they're like, well, you know, I used to do it on like tacos and quesadillas, but now I'll have like a whole bag of, uh, I don't know, like cocoa runes and like a whole pound of smoked salmon. Not to say that anyone has ever said that to me, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, now I'm, now I'm just like binging on healthy foods. So it's all good. And I'm like, well, no, because it's not about the food. It's about the behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that can be a stepping stone, right? Like, okay, so we go from binging on Taco Bell and then we transition into binging on, you know, sweet potatoes and peanut butter. I feel like peanut butter is like everyone's kryptonite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, that's possible that that's just like a lily pad, you know, and that's, or it's just one of the dots that we're going to have to connect and maybe it helps us in our journey to recovery. But, you know, eating to the point where you're uncomfortably full Mm -hmm. on a regular, somewhat regular basis, whether it's sweet potatoes or McDonald's, you know, obviously we want to, that's disordered eating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Through and through. And I love that you use the word lily pad too, because I actually use that with my clients. You do? I, that's, I, I can't take credit for that. Someone else says lily pads, but you say lily pads? That from, but I feel like, you know, we're jumping from one to the other, you know, like you can't go from one side of the pond to the other, step one you know, you got to find the right path to get there or else you just kind of jump into the water and like, if you can't swim, then, you know, a no. whole lot of metaphors going on there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan of metaphors. Um, One of the things that I think is so cool about Molly is that she makes her own bread from scratch using three simple ingredients, flour, water, and salt. And we end up having this really awesome conversation about Uh, food quality and when bread making started to change in our country and that was when shelf life became important and we wanted foods to last longer essentially right and like not go bad and we end up talking about how bread is such a fear food for people and it can be a fear food because you might have like an autoimmune disease or some type of digestive issues. But co- more commonly, it's the fear because we're afraid of carbs and we're afraid of getting fat and we're, we're following like a certain t- way of eating. M- one of Molly's missions is to help 
end the fear around bread. And I think that that is so cool. I think that fear just, I would love for that fear to go away. Yeah. I love bread. Um, I'll say it like Oprah. I, I love bread. Um, I don't restrict it anymore. I have it is a, a part of my diet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was an article that came out about, I don't know if you saw that article, but it was, it was more like an, um, uh, it was a, it was a dig that they did like a year ago where they found some of the oldest bread. And before this bread was found, the oldest bread was from like, I think like 6,000 years ago in the Mesopotamian era, like in the Egyptians. Right. And so the whole paleo diet came around to like, well, in the paleolithic era, we weren't eating bread. We were only eating meat and vegetables and nuts and seeds and, um, all this good stuff. So they found that this bread was actually dated, carbon dated back to 14,500 years ago. Oh, wow. That's right smack dab at the tail end of the Paleolithic era. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, (laughs) it's like one of those moments where I was like, oh, you know, we're always discovering new things about nutrition. So the point of that is to not get so tied to like one specific diet because of like the doctrine that it really preaches and resonates with you. Because at any time, like a new discovery can be made, right? Such as, just as the fact that bread was being eaten, like actual bread, like they had ground flour and baked flatbread in the Paleolithic era, right? So technically that means that bread should be on the paleo diet. Right. Um, but I really didn't make headlines and make big news, right? Because I found it in some like obscure journal. <laughs> so that's the kind of research I do, you know? But it just really goes to show like how silly it is that we get so tied to these like certain diets and we have to like, perfectly stay on it, even if we have cravings for some things that aren't allowed on those diets. Yeah. Well, I think that that's why, um, there is the argument that the wellness culture is the new diet culture, right? Cause like if you were to talk to people about paleo eating, a lot of them would be like, Oh, it's not about the weight. It's just about being healthy. And, mm-hmm. and then the obsession with these different diets where they're like, well, you know, paleo says this, keto says this, veganism yeah. says this, and then we get that food fear. And so then we develop orthorexia because we're like, well, shit, I don't know what to eat anymore. Exactly. Yeah. You know? I'm so confused. I don't even know what my body wants. Right. right. Yeah. And that's what I get that a lot from clients too. They're like, I need your help. I'm so confused. I don't even know what my body wants anymore. Help me yeah. figure that out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's so interesting. The amount of, um, I hear that a lot too, of just like, I just don't know what to eat anymore. Yeah. Like, and, and, um, it's sad because I think that, that some of the intentions have been really great. Right. And there is an argument for a therapeutic way of eating. Yeah. Um, I definitely acknowledge that, that not everybody who is trying to eat a certain way is, has a disordered relationship with food or, you know, has an eating disorder. Um, so there is definitely a time and a place for a therapeutic way of eating, but it's unfortunate that our obsession with thinness mm-hmm. has really perverted our relationship to food and it's just become more mud in the water with therapeutic ways of eating. You yeah. Know. yeah. So. It's, it's crazy. I, and I feel like that's my mission and, and definitely yours too. It's like, when does that stop? Like, when does it end? You know, like, and it's not just women too. I mean, it's men as well, you know, in terms of what their body image should be and what they should look like, you know, and how pumped up and fit they should be and look. And so, I mean, I think that like, you know, women um, are told differently in terms of like being thin um, versus men, right? Or they're told to have a certain body image too, but it's different than ours. But it's like, gosh, when does this 
end, you know, like I, sometimes I feel like really defeated. I'm like, is it just getting worse? You know, like, is this whole like diet culture just getting like worse with social media, you know? Mm. Um, because I was like, was I, be, I wasn't so much affected by any of this when I was in high school. And I know a lot of young girls are now. Right. Um, and it's just like, wow, if, is it, is it social media? Is it just our culture in general? Like has that changed so much in the past, like 20 to 25 years? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if maybe it's just because my profession now I'm seeing, I'm seeing more of it. So I'm more exposed to it, you know, that's but, a part of it for sure. I think, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm just like, gosh, I'm ready. I mean, there's some people doing like such, such great work yourself included to sh- really shift that perspective of what like true body image is, um, you know, and it's about, t- it's about damn time. You know, yeah. I was looking, there was an ad that popped up in my feed for outdoor voices and there was a girl, a pair of their short shorts. And then the, it was just like her and her cellulite. And I was like, fuck yes. Like, awesome. <laughs> you know, like it made me like so, so happy to see that. It was just, like, you know okay little things like that really um make me like in terms of really really positive change that's happening out there in the way yeah. people see bodies I think that as the possibility for the internet to create harm the possibility for the internet to do good has has increased right along with it so I think that um the internet has allowed social justice issues to have more of a voice where before our main source of media was very much controlled. We were, we were only shown what, what people wanted us to see. Um, and I was thinking as you were talking about like, when is it going to change for women? Like, or for men, just when is the narrative going to change around our bodies? I'm currently reading the beauty myth by Naomi Wolf. And she talks about how the beauty myth, as she calls it, coincides with women entering the workplace. And so as opposed to oppressing women and making them be housewives and not allowing them to be educated and not allowing them to work, we've now put all of this pressure on them to be beautiful. And we discriminate against women. We create this class system Mm -hmm. and it's this new form of oppression. So they make us feel like we're worthless because we're not beautiful. So we don't demand equal payment, pay, equal wages. We don't demand equal work because we're not as confident. And we actually think that we're worthless because we're not beautiful. And so it's her argument is that it's this, it's a political thing. It's not a sexist issue. It's not about sexuality. It's not about female beauty. It's about oppressing and controlling women and keeping the patriarchy in place. And it's a fascinating book. I got that it's only one perspective. It's also making me very angry. Yeah. But it's a perspective to think about, right? Because I mean, coming from 13 years in, in the corporate world, I worked in a very male-dominated industry of banking. For a long time, I was like the only female on one of my teams. And um, I saw women, myself included, that got sent home to change because what they were wearing was either too tight or too revealing or the heels were too high or whatever it is. And I'm just like, what kind of message is that, right? Do you think men are getting sent home for what they're wearing to work, right? that's too tight or too revealing on, on them. I mean that, like that kind of stuff that, that, I mean, I saw a lot more stuff that was worse. Um, but just thinking back on that, I'm like, that's terrible. You know, that was so, so terrible to make someone feel like what they're wearing and what fits their body is, um, too sexualized and would make other people feel comfortable, uncomfortable around them. Right. Yes. 
get mixed messages. Like we can't win. It's like, you're not dressed feminine enough. Like what about your work image or you're dressed too, too feminine and then you're getting sexually harassed, but it's your fault because you were inviting it by dressing this way. And it's just like, I am not sure what to do. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, okay. We could probably go on forever. Um, let's <laughs> wrap this up with one more question. Sure. Um, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Um, the advice I would give my 20-year-old self would be to trust myself more. Um, thinking back, I, I think I probably did have a lot of trust in myself, but I would say trust, trust yourself above all others, right? I didn't give myself enough credit. Um, and it took me a while to get to that point of trusting myself above others. Um, so that would probably be the one piece of advice I would give myself. Trust yeah. my body, trust myself, right? Trust what I'm thinking is the right thing. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think maybe had you not trust yourself? Um, you know, I think it actually all comes back to like, I, and I think a lot of 20-year-olds are in this place. Um, I know I was in terms of always seeking other people's approval, right? Mm. Um, a lot of women end up being people pleasers. And really a part of that is also always seeking approval from others. And it's really, really hard to find your own path and also to trust yourself when you're not listening to yourself, right? Because you're so concerned about what others think about you and so concerned about making everybody in your life happy, right? Which is totally futile and not like something that can be accomplished without driving yourself mad or just, or, or you can, but then you can really go very far away from who you are um, as a person. Yeah. I love that. That's really good advice. Uh, well, Molly, it was so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for being here. So, so much. Where can everyone find you? Um, so you can check out my website at, uh, www.balancedbymolly or just my Instagram handles also balanced by Molly. Um, if you don't follow me yet, follow me, check out my website, send me a DM, ask me a question, say, Hey. Yay. It was so great to chat with you. This was awesome. Awesome. Talk to you soon, hon. All right. That is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Molly. If you did, please go give us a ratings and review in iTunes. That would mean the world to me. I would be so grateful. And if you got a lot out of this, please share it with a friend or with someone else who would enjoy the episode as well. Come say hi to me on Instagram. I'm at Kara's Kitchen and I'll see y'all next week. Thank you. Bye.